Welcome into another edition of The Front Office. I'm Tony Lombardi, and I'm joined by Brian McFarlane, and we're both with Russell Street Report. The Front Office is brought to you in part by Royal Farms. Royal Farms is now featuring any size coffee plus a breakfast sandwich for just $4. That's Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. So, Brian, we have a 34-6 win yesterday, courtesy of a defensive performance that I got to be honest, I was not expecting. Yeah, I mean, that kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, seeing what uh, San Diego, or San Diego, LA's done all year, um, you know, we're certainly not expecting that. See, seeing what they did to the vaunted Browns defense the week before, um, really, and seeing how poorly we played. Yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, great to see. It uh, felt like old times. So um, hopefully there's more of that to come. No doubt. And when you look at the Ravens offensively, they had 327 net yards of offense, which I believe is about 115 or so less than what they average, yet still scored 34 points. And and as we could tell and and look at the stats, and even when you're there watching the game live, they just controlled the ball. They controlled the field position game because their special teams played so well. It was just really an all-around good team effort. Yeah, yeah, very solid. I mean, I think some of those yards were down because they they had the lead and, um, you know, they were obviously going to uh, try to run on on uh, the Chargers to start with. So it was a kind of a grind them out game. And then obviously second half, it was just a matter of, you know, bleeding the clock as best you could just and trying to get out of there without any injuries. Right. So we're heading into week seven now. And the Ravens get set to play the Cincinnati Bengals at MT Bank Stadium on Sunday, a one o'clock kickoff. The Bengals are surprisingly four and two and playing really good defense, while the Ravens are at the top of the AFC North at, at five and one. But as we do each week, I wanted to talk to you about some front office issues and personnel issues. And, and this question came up to me earlier last week, Brian, and, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Some people wondering what's the situation currently with Earl Thomas and is there still that $10 million figure parked on the team's cap or, or what is that figure that's parked on the cap and, and what chances of that going away might there be? Well, what's on the cap right now is not going away. Um, the $10 million that's counting on this year's cap, which won't be which. That, that 10 million won't be there next year. The concern is the other 10 million. So the 10 million that's there now is the final two um, bonus prorations from his $20 million signing bonus that pro- prorated 5 million per year for the four years of the deal. He got cut after, um, after, July, after June, uh, after June one, sorry. And um, so um, the two prorations, uh, the two remaining prorations counted against this year. Um, so he got re- he got released in what August of, of last year. So um, the, fi- the five million proration for that year stayed on the cap, uh, the 20 cap. But for the 21 cap, it, it takes the 21 uh, proration and the 22 proration. So um, that was that was going to be there no matter what. Well, when you cut a guy, no matter for what reason, that's the way that that's the way that signing bonus proration uh, will count on the cap because it's it's twenty million dollars they paid him when he signed, so you have to account for it. The other ten, the other ten million, is um, what's at stake in the grievance, and that was last year's the twenty twenty 
um, his, his base salary, which was 10 million guaranteed. If you do something um, that makes you unavailable, so to speak, or it's conduct detrimental, so to speak, then um, the team can try and void that guarantee. And that's what they did. Um, the press releases when they released him made it clear that he was being released for his actions and that the team could no longer put up with his actions. So they threw it on him. He filed a grievance. Um, and this is where it gets weird. So normally when a grievance is filed, um, 40% of the grievance amount counts on the cap immediately. So that would have been 4 million counting on last year's cap. It never happened. Um, it did not happen this year. Um, so I, the best I can say is, I don't know. <laughs> um, everybody seems perplexed about it. Nobody in the press seems to be digging into it. Um, I, there are a lot of rumors out there that he's a mess and that he's not, um, he's, while it's filed, he's not pursuing it too much. And obviously at this point, the way the Ravens cap is, they're certainly not expecting it to happen this year. You would normally, it normally would have been expected to happen this year. Um, usually it's the off season after everything happens, which would have been last, you know, February, April, May, you know, March, April, May, June. So, um, so the, it's, it's odd because, Earlier this year, um, the undrafted free agent, Eli Wolf, I guess he was undrafted two years ago, was cut by the Ravens and they released him without an injury settlement and he filed a grievance. And guess what? 40% of that grievance is counting, on, which isn't a lot because he was an undrafted free agent, but 40% of that grievance is counting on the Ravens cap right now, like it should. Um, but why it did not happen that way with Thomas I can only think there was an agreement between the NFL PA and the NFL and Thomas and the Ravens to handle it this way. Um, I can't imagine though other NFL teams would be super thrilled about that. Cause I'm sure, um, you know, the, the chiefs and the bills and, um, and the Steelers and the Browns would like, uh, like that 10 million resolved against the Ravens and they would have been in real cap trouble this year. So, uh, best I can say is I don't know. It certainly hasn't followed the normal course. Yeah, and, you, and like like you said, it's it's one of those things where the Ravens are probably glad that it's being delayed because it would have affected a really tight cap situation as it is this year. So, you know, we wish the best for, to Earl Thomas as a person, as a man, because as you indicated, he's kind of a mess, and it's that mess off the field which made him you have a bigger mess on the field. So, uh, our best to to him and his recovery process. Shifting gears, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the NFL trade jet deadline, which is Tuesday, November the 2nd at 4 p.m. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on, is it possible that the Ravens can make some trades? And if they were to trade for someone, given their cap situation, what would be the right fit? What would be the right kind of player? And, and is there a way that, another team can restructure a deal with a player currently on their roster, if they have the cap room to help make a trade happen with the Ravens who don't have a lot of cap space. Yeah. I mean, the answer to both of those is yes. I mean, they're not going to go out and get, you know, a $10 million player. I mean, those superstars coming here at this point, 
You know, I mean, they've made some trades, whether it was a Marcus Peters trade in mid in midseason. Um, um, geez, the tackle I keep forgot. Uh, Eugene Monroe. They made that was a midseason trade. Uh, in in the in the Eugene Monroe case, Jacksonville ate some money of his contract. They basically gave him a signing bonus for part of his uh, base salary. Um, which allowed his the number coming here, which lowered his base salary that the Ravens were going to pick up. So that is possible. And usually that kind of deal comes with the Ravens offering a, a, a more premium pick. Um, I think Monroe was a third and a fifth. I'm not sure anymore. I think or maybe even a third and a fourth. Um, so those kinds of deals can be made. You see that um, but you're not going to get you're not going to get a trade bargain if the other team is picking up some of the some of the freight. Um, Ravens have about two million in cap right now, so they don't have a lot of wiggle room. Uh, they could they could restructure Peters. We we talked about that last week. I mean that's still a possibility. Each week that goes though, any cap savings you know gets reduced by another one eighteenth uh, for the week of the season. Um, so you you know you've got that. Um, probably the most, I mean, I know the one that I see people ask about the, the most because it makes monet- more monetary sense. And because it's out there that there's talk of trade is, is uh, Marlon Mack from the Colts. Um, and, you know, and running back has seemed to be, you know, notwithstanding this week's nice performance uh, has, has been kind of an issue all year. Um, so a guy like Mack, his base salaries on a one-year deal, base salaries a million bucks. Um, pro rates to, um, what about 700,000 now, I guess, um, off the top of my head. Um, in which case that's not a lot. Plus if he were to be signed, uh, or traded for the Ravens would have to release somebody. Um, and you know, if that guy was, um, Devonta Freeman figuring it's one of the running backs, um, then he's, he was, he's making 850 this year. So you're looking at, you know, not a whole lot of difference between the two as far as the last, what, 13 weeks or actually 12 weeks now. Uh, yeah, we're going the other way, 11. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm doing 17. I, the 17 versus 18 week thing in my head does not work. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the, so the remaining uh, 12 weeks of the season counting because a bye week is counted as a week. Um, so, you know, that would be, so that the, the money there wouldn't be, they wouldn't be taking on too much of a difference. So that one, if there's, if there's one out there that, you know, somebody's rumored to be on the trading block, that one makes sense. Of course, if he's a fit for the Ravens and, and if they're interested in doing that at this point, but uh, you know, much more than that kind of a guy making much more than that, it becomes more problematic. Juwan James is a guy that the Ravens picked up this season and signed him to an interesting contract. And he's a guy that, you know, was a non-football injury-related uh, acquisition that, the, you know, when the Denver Broncos let go of him. And I know there's some claims that he's making against Broncos and whatnot. But if he's able to get healthy enough to play, and I know that that's a big if, but if he is, what sort of impact might he have on the cap? Yeah, well, actually, his impact would be relatively small. Um when he was signed, the initial reports were that he was going to be, he would get his signing bonus, which was, which was 500,000. And that was his money to rehab with. And that um, because he was on NFI, the Ravens didn't have to pay him anything, which is accurate. 
However, um, once the uh, initial uh, roster was set and he went on NFI, he is playing, at least according to NFLPA, he is playing under a, uh, a rookie minimum salary. It doesn't matter whether he's a rookie minimum because the Ravens can pay him anything they want at this point. They could pay him $10 if they want it. So um, his actual salary is uh, $990,000. So if he comes back, um, and can play, it would his salary would jump up to the 990, but it would also be prorated based on the number of games he would actually be able to return. So, you know, so you're not really looking at, you know, you're looking at maybe, you know, $150,000, you know, 150000 more than uh, his cap number would go up by that based on the number of games. So, um, you know, so that one's, that one's very possible. I kind of, be, and I, who knows if the initial reports were right about him playing for free, this year, so to speak, because they were going to pay him nothing on NFI. But once I saw that they had applied the 660, um, and, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that struck me as, you know what, they think he's got a chance to come back and they're going to give him some incentive to come back and we're going to show you some love and we're going to pay you more while you're rehabbing because, you know, we, and, and maybe out of necessity, we think we may need you, but, um, you know, so, We'll see. I mean, he has to he has to sit the first six weeks. So, um, you know, he's pretty much there. I'm not saying he's there health wise, but um, on NFI, he has to unlike IR. It's not uh, it's not just a three week sit out now. NFI is like PUP, which which is a six week sit out. So or six games sit out. So and he well, he's there. So, I mean, at this point, you know, uh, at some point they can they can activate that that 21 day uh, practice window. But, um, you know, obviously he's got they, they got to feel he's there and, and it's worth it to him. I'm Tony Lombardi. I'm speaking with Brian McFarlane. We're both with Russell Street Report. And this is the front office. Brian, Deshaun Elliott had a big game yesterday. He had a sack, had another quarterback hurry, a, a pass defense and a really spectacular interception where he jumped in front of Jared Cook and had just an overall good game. And I don't think it's any surprise that the Ravens defense played better with his return. But I'm looking ahead. He is going to be an unrestricted free agent following the 2021 season. What kind of contract do you think the Ravens would be looking at in order to bring him back? Yeah, I mean, he seems like a guy they, you know, um, and obviously proving he's healthy over a long period of time has been a problem for him. And obviously this, this season didn't start as well as he would like in that way. Uh, I don't know if that will decrease his value some he he looks like a guy they would have liked to extend at this point like they did Chuck Clark now Clark wasn't in his fourth year I don't think I think Clark still had another year on his contract remaining but um at the time he was extended but um so yeah I I he's going to be a tough one to judge because he's really only been a starter at this point for just a little over a season and he was held, and he was basically on IR the first two years. So um, I think I think he's a guy that could you know could be a bargain. I, I don't know, you know. There's you know, and he's and certainly he and Clark play well together, but you know they do lack that true center fielder type. Um, so whether that will be something that you know on you know in their minds limits what they would pay him. Um, knowing that at some point, you know, ideally they will, they will acquire such a, a you know, a, a safety um, probably in the draft if it happens or, um, but you know, that's, 
I don't think he's going to be terribly expensive because I think that injury history is going to, you know, is going to, you know, take some something out of it. But, you know, he, if he's healthy the rest of the year and, hey, you know, cross your fingers, we go to the Super Bowl and win and, he, you know, he looks really good down the stretch. Um, you know, he could make himself millions and take him right out of the right out of the Ravens, uh, you know, checkbook and on to somebody else's. Yeah, it seems to me that when, when a team is successful, too, that other clubs want to have that experience of success and they're willing, willing to pay a little bit more than the Ravens might be uh, willing to offer him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, I wanted to move on to a couple of practice squad moves that have been made and, and a couple of players specifically, Brian, one being Andre Smith, the other being Le'Veon Bell. And, and for the sake of our listeners, I just wanted to get a handle on how much more flexibility do the Ravens have with those two players specifically or any player for that matter. But I, I did want to focus on those two guys in terms of bouncing back and forth to the practice squad. Yeah, well, they've reached their their limit with the two of them, barring a COVID issue where somebody goes on the COVID reserve list and you can call and that allows you to call a player up from the practice squad. And it doesn't count as one of their um, one of their two what are what are termed uh, standard elevations. So this week was the second standard elevation for both Smith and Bell Smith. Um, Smith's first one was standard. And then. Um, you know, we had the guys go on COVID and obviously Ferguson just came back and Ferguson was gone for three games and there's, uh, there's Smith's three, uh, COVID elevation. So he's been called up five times, uh, but now he has used up his two, um, CBA mandated max, uh, elevations and both of Bell's have been, uh, standard elevations. So, um, so he's done as well. So, um, so unfortunately, that um, means that they cannot bring those two guys up. I'm not sure there's anybody else on the practice squad, really. Um, the only other guy who can, who's maxed out is, is, uh, is Kayvon Seymour, uh, the cornerback and special teamer. He's been, he's been called up twice. Um, well, he's been called up three times, but two of them are standard elevations. Jordan Richards has been called up once with a standard elevation, so he, he could be a guy that you could see called up potentially one more time, especially, you know, they like their special teams. Um, but now for the first time, barring somebody going on IR this week, their roster is up to 53 players. Um, so they've been, they've been hovering at 51 for the last couple of weeks, which in a way saved them money, but in a way, but they were clearly waiting for Bateman and, um, and uh, Boykin and, and Phillips to come back off of IR um, because those guys were, were short-term IR and, and, you know, they knew they were coming up around the corner. So they, instead of paying two guys during the week um, to be on the roster, to be on the 53 man roster, they were able, especially with the unfortunate COVID elevations they had, they were able to kind of fill that through the practice squad. Um, and, you know, and then they had a couple other injuries that were, there were guys who were to be inactive anyway. So it kind of worked out, but at this point, um, you know, like I said, unless, you know, unless queen or, uh, I, the Bozeman, I think came back in the game. So, um, you know, unless one of those guys, you know, goes on IR, uh, I think they're, you know, they're going to be a 53, um, which, which means they have more to choose from right off the 53 and they may not need the elevations, although, Andre Smith seems to be still the swing tackle 
Um, so I don't know if they would, what they would do there. Yeah. If Ronnie Stanley gets healthy and he gets over that through his rehab of his injured ankle, then obviously he's a guy they'll put back in. And, and as we talked about last week, that might mean that Villanueva becomes that swing tackle because of how well McCarry's played at, at right tackle. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an interesting one too, because I mean, the, the news with Stanley seemed pretty ominous, but they never placed him on IR. Um, yeah. Which, you know, now if you place him on IR, he's still got to miss three more weeks, which may be what he has to miss anyway. And maybe they, you know, again, maybe they didn't want to add anybody to the roster because everybody else was relatively healthy and they just weren't worried about doing it. Um, so, the, I mean, that could be an IR move this week um, and just, you know, another not fill, but it really isn't going to change their cap because uh, unless they add somebody to take that place. And then you've got Nick Boyle, who's knocking on the door of a return soon. And if you listen to John Harbaugh, it sounds like he might be a two or three week away thing. I, I'm thinking he might be ready to go after the bye. Yeah, they're going to, I mean, they've got some interesting ones coming up because the remaining guys on IR that have come back are, are Boyle, um, Ben Cleveland, who it didn't, uh, he's not going to be anytime soon, but that did not sound like a long, they expected that to be a long-term injury or, or maybe they're just, you know, holding them out, out there till maybe December or something like that. But even then, that's somebody, of course, will have injuries between now and then as well. Um, Dalen Hayes is another guy that, that didn't sound like a, a you know, a, a season ender and, um, Chris Westry, um, was only a five or six week injury. I think when it happened, so that would put him in, you know, in position at some point sooner rather than later to be able to maybe practice again. Um, you know, and they've got some time with those guys because they don't want, they don't have to bring them back immediately. Um, so they got some, but that's four guys that they would have to find some space for him. When you look at the 53 man roster and again, injuries will unfortunately probably fix this, <laughs> fix this part of the equation. But right now it's hard to really find four guys that you would say you definitely can. Oh, that's, they're easy to come off. Exactly. So, okay, Brian, well, that's, that's a great update on some things that I know that some fans have been asking about. So we appreciate your intelligence and expertise in that area. So, uh, what do you think about this game tonight, the Bills and the Titans? I know that it'd probably be better for the Ravens if the Titans win, but I don't know what it is about that team. I just can't root for them. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean it goes back to the you know the old AFC Central days in the, in the early years, um, and the, the battles the two teams had when you know when we kind of took their Super Bowl away from them. They thought, but. Um, yeah. And then this group is, um, and I don't know that, that, well, I don't know if it's the players as much as the head coach, but um, they're just, they're just clearly unlikable to me. Yeah. I, I was going to, I, I could come up with all kinds of other words that I won't, but yeah. Um, Vrabel, I never liked Vrabel as a player either. And he, he doesn't disappoint. Uh, he, he's not changed my opinion whatsoever. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I'm going to be, I'm still going to be rooting for the bills. I just can't do it. There was a time I, a few years back when Tim Tebow was the uh, quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And it would have been better if the Steelers had won that playoff game for the Ravens in their situation, playoff seating or whatever. Right. And as soon as Tebow hit, I guess it was Demarius Thomas for that long. Yeah, I think it was. Yep. 
I, I just said, you know what? I, I was happy. I couldn't root for Steve yep. at all. So. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. <laughs> be one of those nights tonight. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the front office with Tony Lombardi, myself, and Ryan McFarland from Russell Street Report. Tune in again next week on Monday or Tuesday. Thanks again.